All right. Good evening. How's everybody doing? Good? Hey, let's go ahead and stand as we open up in prayer. Thank you for being with us online tonight. We're glad that you tuned in. Uh, what a beautiful week so far. Everybody had a good week? Anybody need a better end of the week? Hey, okay. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll pray that in. Uh, let's open up in prayer. Anybody with a need tonight? You just want to uh, lift your hand tonight. Uh, we uh, Again, we want to continue praying for... Uh, those who have lost loved ones, um, uh, I, I don't know if I mentioned it Sunday, but Martin Strahan, uh, his father passed away Sunday, uh, so the funeral will be Tuesday, next Tuesday, and then we've had some, you know, we this year we've had probably one every week uh, since the beginning of the year, and so we just want to pray for those that uh, God would comfort and come alongside. Let's pray for our outreach tomorrow with the food distribution, of course all the ministries on campus tonight, our kids are getting ready for uh, D now, uh, which is a discipleship weekend, uh, that's coming up and, you know, just a lot of ministry, a lot of opportunity to impact people with the gospel. And, uh, we want to continue praying for revival. If you're online tonight, thanks for joining us. If you'll comment, we'll pray with you as well. So let's pray father tonight. Thank you, uh, for just Lord, just all the reminders, just the, the gentleness, uh, the gentle reminders that we see all around us. Thank you for, uh, Lord, just that smile from a stranger, that kind word, that kind deed. Lord, all of these are just reminders of, of just your goodness. I believe that. I thank you that uh, you are mindful of us, that you consider us, and you love us. And I pray, Father, tonight as we open up, we do so with a heart of thanksgiving. Uh, and we're, we, we just, uh, again, just want to pause for a moment and say thank you for all that you do. And tonight as we, again, open up, we bring our petitions and our needs and we present them to you. Lord, knowing that you're able to do something about them, I pray for every physical need tonight. We ask God that you would grant healing. Uh, Lord, for those who have lost loved ones, we pray that you would send the Holy Spirit to come alongside and to walk with, and comfort them and to strengthen them and uphold them with your powerful right hand. We pray, Lord, for those that need a financial miracle. Uh, Lord, we pray for those that need some encouragement tonight. Lord, those that are facing uh, challenges and decisions that need to be made. Father, you said you would guide us. Uh, the Holy Spirit would lead us into the truth. So, Lord, I pray you illuminate the path for us. I pray for all the ministries that are happening on campus tonight. Uh, Lord, be with us in our time of study, I pray, and all the outreaches that are going on over the next few weeks. Uh, Lord, above all, that may you be glorified in all things and be lifted high. I ask that your blessings would rest upon us today, that you would open our hearts and our, our understanding to receive your word. We just ask it in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. God bless you. you may be seated tonight. Uh, go ahead and turn with me. Uh, to 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. A couple of announcements. Uh, again, don't forget tomorrow is our food distribution, and it's at Yellow Jacket Stadium. We haven't moved it yet. Uh, there is a little bit of talk about uh, relocating it, actually bringing it here to the church property since we already have one here. Um, and, and as I said before, we the reason we did that was that was the visibility because we started this during covid and we had 2,400 boxes of food every week that we had to, to distribute. And that just gave us good visibility to be able to get people uh, through there. Now everybody knows, and they're always, you know, we start, we start at 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock, whatever it is. They're in line at 7 a.m. It's kind of like driving a bus for a seniors event. <laughs> I've, I've driven a few times, and... Uh, you tell them the bus is going to pull out at uh, at 8.30, and by 7.15, there's a, several cars already lined up out there. I'm like, what's that? Yeah, yeah. why not? Uh, something maybe a little longer sleep anyway. So so uh, that's, that's going on tomorrow. Uh, again, don't forget, coming up a uh, week from Sunday is our annual business celebration. Then Watoto's coming up, and... Friend Day, again, help us out. Invite your friends. Um, we're doing an illustrated sermon entitled, What If? What If? And uh, we're believing God for a packed altar. In regards to the uh, business celebrations, after the second service, we'll have lunch, a catered lunch. Uh, the financial statement, if you didn't see it, it's at the hub. So you're welcome to pick one of those up for last year. And that's something that we'll cover at our, our business celebration. We call it a celebration because... We get to celebrate the goodness of the Lord. It's not a meeting. Meetings are too depressing. Uh, so we celebrate the goodness and the faithfulness of God. God's been good to us. You know, I, I can remember uh, 30 years ago, uh, so 
allow me to reminisce for just a moment. All those seats back there under the balcony, that used to be classrooms. So there was a wall that, that extended from that balcony all the way down. And there was a little room that sat right here. Uh, kind of, we call it a control room. Had light switches and stuff in there, and and I can remember with the thirty people that were here uh, early on, they would the board would sit in there, and that's where they did their uh, deciding what bills got paid and you know what we were able to do, and and then fast forward, and God truly has been faithful. We have invested a tremendous amount of money in this property. Uh, we give away to missions and support our community and events. Uh, just in, in an incredible way, and uh, and we're debt free. You know, we've done well over a million dollars in renovations, and just God is faithful. Uh, so we get to celebrate the goodness of the Lord. We have people that are saved. Uh, we do outreaches, and you know, one of the things that we do with outreaches, and I, you know, I would love to see. And I, I mentioned this on Sunday when I was preaching about. I'd love to see every one of these. I, I preach better when the house is full. <laughs> Uh, but I learned a long time ago that we're about building the kingdom. And there are too many people that want to build their kingdom when we should be building God's kingdom. And so my heart has always been, <coughs> God, let us reach people. And if they end up here, then thank the Lord. You know, I always pray, through attrition, we need to have laborers. So add to the church, raise up people, bring in people of all ages and skill sets and help us to reach our community. But it's naive, it's naive to believe that everybody that we reach is going to end up here. So we celebrate that they end up in the church down the street, or as long as they preach Jesus, we're okay with that. Amen? So anyway, let's get <laughs> enough of that. Let's get into our word. So I'm starting a new series tonight entitled Twisted, and, and I think you're going to enjoy this. I, I, I was reading a book uh, not long ago, and I came across the, the idea for this series uh, because it was talking about how easy it is to to justify behavior, to justify attitudes by pulling out of context certain passages in Scripture. And, and I thought, you know, that's probably more prevalent than what we even understand. So, so we're going to be visiting that over the next uh, few weeks. And tonight is kind of an introduction. And the message title is Rightly Dividing. Rightly Dividing. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. We'll read this. Paul writing to his son in the Lord Timothy. He said, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord, not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of their hearts, excuse me, to, to the ruin of their hearers, hearers. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer, Hymenius and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And we'll stop there. May the Lord add his blessing to his word as we jump right in tonight. Uh, now, again, in this series, what I'm going to do is we're going to, what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the verses that often get taken out of context um, and presented in a way that is inconsistent with the author's intent. And, and here's the thing. Most believers do this, okay? Uh, I, I, I catch myself sometimes because it sounds good and it, it may fit with what I'm dealing with or going through at times, um, so, more, again, most, most believers at some point will, will do this very thing, and more often than not, it's, it's not done with any type of malice, uh, but it's inconsistent. And, and if we really want to rightly divide the truth of God's Word, then we need to pay attention to it. You know, a major reason, I think, for pulling out certain texts and using them in an inconsistent way is because we live in a culture that wants instant gratification, Right? I mean, we, we want instant gratification. You go to the store right now, you can find instant potatoes. You can find instant this, instant that, instant coffee, instant whatever. It's just we want something now. They put in drive through windows, and now they're not fast enough. Right? I mean, we want it, and we, we want it now. And so what happens, again, patience is not a virtue of modern man. And so this impatience that we have today creates a problem 
when we apply scripture because we read a passage and immediately want to apply that scripture to our lives rather than taking it in the grand account of God's plan. See, here's the thing. There is a grand narrative woven throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You know, I I tell people all the time, you got to understand the Bible is not an exhaustive concordance of what we can and cannot do. You know, there there's some things that the Bible doesn't speak to. But what the Bible does, again, it's not a concordance of thou shalt and thou shalt nots. But what it is, it reveals the nature and the character of God so that when we approach those situations, we already know the answer. Because we, how many of you, if you've been married a long time, you already know what your wife wants or your husband wants. You know how they like their steak. You know how they like their tea. You know how they like, you, you already know. Because you have that familiarity. Um, and, and, and so, again, the, there is a grand narrative that's woven throughout Scripture. And, 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 and some of the passages in the Bible are only understandable in the grand narrative. If you isolate them, they're confusing. And they could lead people to error. You know, anybody ever heard the saying, uh, a text taken out of context is a, proof, is a pretext for a proof text? Now, that's a mouthful. You say, well, I had never heard that. Well, what it, <laughs> what it means is if we take a passage out of context, we are taking isolated quotes and we're establishing a position that may not reflect the intent of the author. You know, we're just pulling something out. We're establishing it as a, as a principle that may or may not be. Uh, so tonight's introduction, next week we'll be talking about some specific verses. Um, how many of you have ever heard somebody say something like this? Well, to me, this verse means. You ever heard that? That's what I'm talking about. To me, that's called eisegesis. You know, exegesis is when you let the passage speak. Eisegesis is when you say, this is what it means to me. And we have to be very careful because I can read a passage and say, well, John, this is what it means to me. What does it mean to you? Well, it's irrelevant what it means to me or what it means to him. What's relevant is what does it mean to God? What did they intend? That, that's important. Um, you know, the Bible is a life-changing book, but used in the wrong way, it's dangerous. You know, one of the, uh, so, so we have been part of the Fire Bible. If you're new in our church, we, we, we've been partners with a ministry called, uh, it's Fire Bible, it's out of Bible Alliance. They they see right now they are looking to translate the Bible in the top 100 languages in the world that have no uh, study Bible in a Pentecostal study Bible in their heart language. Uh, so we've been a part of that since, I think, since the inception. We were part of the Chinese Fire Bible. Uh, last year I was in, in Sri Lanka where we unveiled the Sinhala language. Um, and, what it is, and, and so one of the reasons that this started was because there are places on earth right now on the, around the world that, that the conversion is so fast. I mean, people are being born again at such a significant pace that there's not enough qualified teachers, preachers, pastors to lead the congregations. And so, so what would happen, just say, for instance, a house church in China. Somebody says, well, you've been saved two weeks. Why don't you lead the church? And, and how many see that there could be a problem with that? Uh, you know, if you're going to get up and teach the Bible, you need to understand how the Bible works and, and stuff like that. So they started saying, well, if we can take the, the, the Bible, translate it into their heart language, fill it with study notes and commentary, it's like a Bible school in one edition. And that's really where it came from because we wanted to supply these churches with, and pastors with a Bible, a resource that can help them as they lead congregations, because it's a, there's places around the world that are exploding. I mean, churches are happening every day. Five, ten, fifteen, twenty churches are being planted every single day, and you need good, qualified people. So that's where it came from. So the Bible is a life changing book, but in the wrong hands, it can be a very dangerous thing. You know, in his book, the most misused verse in the Bible, the author Eric uh, Bargenhuff, he describes. One of the things he does is he goes back to the very beginning and he describes how subtle it was when Satan came to Adam and Eve in the garden. And he points out that what he attacked was the word of God. 
And, and, and so he says that what Satan wants to do is he wants us to misinterpret and misquote Scripture as he seeks to undermine God. So think about that encounter in Genesis 3. Here, here's, what this, here's what Satan did, okay? When he came to Eve uh, and how he got her to disobey God, he came to her and he said this in, in Genesis 3.1. Says now the serpent was craftier than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Now notice what he does here. Did God actually say, this version says, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So what was his first tactic? His first tactic was to count, was to cast doubt in Eve's mind. Did God really say that? So all of a sudden you think, well, did he really say it? Did I, did I miss here? Did I not understand? Um, and, and then the next thing he does, not only does he try to sow doubt in her mind, then he now what he does is he tries to intentionally misquote what God said. So he goes from, did God really say this, to uh, saying this. He said, you shall not, God, you know, he misquotes God. You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Then he expanded uh, you know, he didn't say, he expanded. He said, any tree, you're not to do this. So what he's doing is he's, he's misquoting the scriptures, verses 2 and 3. Eve, even herself now, she's got a doubt so, sewn into her, her spirit. She now has, he's misquoted scripture, so now she's starting to think. Well, then verses 2 and 3 of, of Genesis 3, she now adds to it. So here's what she says. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the, fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Well, God never told them they couldn't touch it. That wasn't part of the, you, you see what's happening. Subtle, okay? It's kind of like the frog in the, in the kettle. You know, it's a subtle thing, but she added to it. God said, well, we can't, eat, we can't even touch it. Um, and, and then verse 4, Satan goes on, and now he negates the penalty that God himself issued. Because God said, in the day that you partake of this, you will do what? You will surely die. So what, is, what does Satan say to Eve? He said, you will not surely die. You will not surely die. So his big lie was that we can sin and get away with it. And so in verse 5, the serpent questions God's character by suggesting, have you ever noticed that? In verse 5, he suggests that God is jealous because he said this, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. You see how subtle that is? He's like, God doesn't want you to be smart. God doesn't want you to be wise. He's trying to paint God as this ogre somehow. God's jealous of you. That's why he's forbid you from doing that. You know, and, and, and he goes on, uh, Bargain Huff, he goes on and says, here's, and I quote him, he said, the serpent wanted Eve to see God's restrictive commands in a new light, to perhaps understand them differently from what was originally intended, and to give them a new context. He goes on, at the heart of all human sinfulness is lawlessness, and the prideful appeal to be our own God, to doubt the trustworthiness of God's word, and all we need to do in order to start down the path is to give Scripture a new context, twist its meaning, or interpret it the way that appeals to the supremacy and glory of man, end quote. Wow. All we need to do, he said, is take, my paraphrase would be, is to pull Scripture out of context. And if we're not careful, we start down a path that can lead us astray. So that's what this series is about over the next few weeks. This series is about helping us grow spiritually by understanding the Bible in proper context. So, so context, so the context, let me give you the context of our, our scripture tonight. Paul's in prison, right? Everybody knows that. He's, this is what is referred to as a prison epistle. So Paul, a prison letter. So Paul's in prison. And it was there that he also wrote uh, Philippians. Uh, Philippians is the letter of joy, which is, which is really interesting because he's in prison. And, of course, they're not like prisons today. He's in a dungeon, uh, and, and he's writing about pure joy and, <laughs> and the joy of the Lord and all that kind of stuff. But so the context is he's in prison. He's writing, he's writing to Timothy. 
Now, Timothy was one of his converts. He was, Paul said he was a son in the Lord. So it's his spiritual son. Paul is writing to him. He's near death, uh, or he knows that his death is imminent. He knows that not too much longer uh, he will be passing from this life. So he writes to Timothy to encourage him. Again, look at the context. He wants to encourage him to live on mission. God called you, Timothy. Live on, live on mission. Continue to fight for the faith no matter how hard it gets. And then he warns Timothy about false teachers, and he urges him to work diligently to interpret and apply the Word of God to the world that he lives in. It's important, Timothy, that you understand this. And so in the first part of chapter 2, Paul uses three analogies to remind Timothy how important it is to remain faithful and focused. He, uh, he says that we are like, we're, we're to be like obedient soldiers, okay? We're to be like disciplined athletes, and we're to be persistent like farmers. And each one of them carries kind of a, its, own, its own meaning. We're to be diligent. We're to be faithful. We're to be loyal, uh, trustworthy, all of these things. We're, we're to have patience, you know, there's some, you know, I, I've always been one of the guys that, that if it takes me a little bit longer to get where I want to go, if I can move people together to get there, then I'm going to take my time. You know, there's some people that want to come in. You've probably heard the analogy about go ahead and flip the apple cart over. I, I, don't, I don't believe in that. That's not, that's not me. I don't, why create an issue when you don't have to create an issue? <laughs> that's the way I've looked at it. So if it takes me a little bit longer to, to get where I want to go, where I feel like maybe God's leading us to go, if we can move intact to get there, then I'm going to take my time. Nothing wrong with that. You know, and, and I think that's what he's talking about. Be patient, Timothy. Handle the Word of God. Study the Word of God. You know, do your diligence to take care of it. You know, and, and lawyers talk about due diligence. You know, insurance companies, we, we have insurance for this compound. And, you know, we have liability insurance and things like that. And they talk about due diligence. Uh, and then the, on the flip side of it, they talk about negligence. You know, negligence can get you in a lot of trouble. If you don't pay attention, it can get you in a lot of trouble. So he said, be diligent about these things. Uh, in verses 8 through 13, Paul urges Timothy to remember Christ so that he doesn't disobey him. And then we get to our text. In verses 14 through 19, I'll read it again. In this version, he said, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words. Again, today, there, how do I want to say this? There, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of theories, there's a lot of talk, there's a lot of, there's a lot of opinions that float around, and people really get, I, I, really, people get upset about them. And I, I think Paul's saying, look, don't, don't get caught up in things that are, that, you know, you know like there's some people, we're, we're pre-trib people. We, I, I teach and believe in pre-tribulation, there's some people that believe in mid-tribulation. There are people that believe in post-tribulation. Don't get hung up on that. I, Jesus is coming. And when the trumpet sounds, I'm going up. Whether it's before, in the middle, or after, I'm going up. Now, I fully believe that teacher, the, the scriptures teach a, a, a pre-tribulation rapture. But, but I'm not going to get hung up. If so. I had a, when I pastored that little church in, in Germany, my piano player was a, was a mid-tribber, and boy, she'd get twisted off in a hurry if I talked about pre-tribulation. And I'm like, you know what? Just play the piano. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, are you saved? Are you going to heaven? Then, then, then don't worry about it. But there, that's, that's a, a simple, but there's other things that people get hung up on. You know, the, the the thief the middle the you know the thief on the cross I mean you can I mean you get people in argument I what day of the week do we worship on anybody remember the tent revival we did many years ago we did a we did a tent revival on east side of east side of Cleburne we set up a tent and and every night we did church we did a tent I just I had a free mo I had a free time in my calendar and I thought let's go do a tent revival Never done a tent revival before we rented a tent set it up on the east side and every night we had church under the tent. Well, one particular night, we had some visitors, and they were not happy that we were doing service on Friday night, and they let us know real quick that it was not appropriate for us to be having church on Friday night. Again, I'm, I'm, not, I'm just saying, Paul said, don't get into stuff like that. 
Be careful about that. Don't quarrel about words, which do, he goes on, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of God or the word of truth, but avoid, I love this phrase, irreverent babble. Avoid that kind of stuff. Don't just bump your gums to be bumping your gums. Avoid irreverent, irreverent, that's what it is, not relevant, irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. (laughs) Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Our our focus tonight is on verse 15. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as an approved, as as approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So Paul gives us in that verse three priorities. Okay, three priorities. Number one, stay hungry. Stay hungry. So notice the phrase, do your best. What does it mean? It means to make every effort, to be uh, intense, earnest, eager. You know, it it suggests a a, a zealousness, a concentration, a dedication, a diligence. And that phrase is a command to do it now. You know, don't put it off for another time. It's a command to do it now without delay so that we can accomplish what needs to be accomplished. He said, do your best, Timothy. Do it now. And then he goes on. You know, I mean, think about this. When a baby is born, how many of you remember when your children were small? So when a baby's born, they come with an appetite, right? And, and, and a happy day in, a, in a, new, uh, a, a mom's life with a newborn is to find a schedule, <laughs> is to be able to find some, uh, a schedule because uh, that baby has an appetite. And, and it constantly wants to be fed, okay? And it's going to let you know. Well, it doesn't change much because they've got teenagers. They'll eat you out of the house, right? Peter put it like this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. He said, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that, it, by, that by it you may grow up into salvation. So, again, the idea is do your best eagerly. Hand, let's continue to unpack it because it makes sense. Proverbs 23, 12 says, apply your heart to instruction and, let, and your ear to words of knowledge. Apply your heart. Be consistent. Be diligent. And then he says to Timothy, to present yourself to God. Now, the idea here, Paul, the word that he uses here is talking about a bride presenting herself to her groom. So when he says present yourself to God, it's presenting as a, a bride to the groom, and the idea is to stand near or before or to show. And, and so what Paul wants Timothy to know is that we must do our best because we are standing before the face of God. Timothy, handle the word of God because you are standing before him. You're near him. It's important. And then ultimately, here's the goal. We're to be one approved. See, the ultimate goal is for us to be approved. You've heard me say down for, now for years and years that the thing I want to hear one day, the longing of my heart, is to hear my father say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's a longing in my heart. I, I want to hear. I, I appreciate the, the cards and the encouragement and the accolades, but you know what? There's one that I want to hear, and I want my father to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And I think we, we all do. But he said, you know what? Your goal is to be looking, uh, that we're to be looking for is to be one approved, which comes from being tested by trials and come through the fire. So here's our choice. We can either seek the approval of others or we can make every effort to be approved by God. That's this contrast. Timothy, you have a choice. You can either preach to the itching ears and seek approval of man or you can seek diligently to be one approved of God. And it's your choice. How many of you know the name Jim Elliott? You, yeah, he's the one that was killed in Ecuador. Jim Elliott uh, was martyred in Ecuador by a tribe as he was trying to present the gospel. Uh, what's the name of the movie, uh, the book? 
the edge of the spear or something like that. Anyway, uh, Jim Elliott was a student at Wheaton College, and here's what he said. He, he wrote in his diary, he said, my, ga- my grades came through this week and were, as expected, lower than last semester. However, I make no apologies and admit that I've let them drag a bit for study of the Bible in which I seek the degree AUG, approved unto God. I like that. He said, I kind of let my grades down a little bit because I was studying the Bible because, after all, I just want to be approved unto God. That, that's what Timothy was being told by Paul. Timothy, be diligent, be consistent, stay hungry to be approved unto God. The second thing is to work hard. So right in the middle of that verse there, verse 15, he said we're to see ourselves as a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Well, the idea here is someone who works so hard that they're not going to be ashamed when the work is inspected. Have you noticed the culture that we live in today, the the lackadaisical attitude towards work? You know, artisans. You know, it's very rare to find somebody that takes pride. I mean, you go, you go to, you, I'm sorry. <laughs> you go get a hamburger, and it used to be a good hamburger. But now nobody cares because they just, they just don't care. And so it's cold, the bun's stale, the lettuce is wilted, the tomato's rotten, and they sell it anyway. When we can all remember a time when a manager would never let that out of the, out of the back of the kitchen. Because it was pride in the way something was done. How about, how about washing machines? Anybody remember the old Maytag commercials? You know? I mean, they would, I mean, the, the, the boast about Maytag was the repairman had to find something else to do because the machines were so reliable, he never had a job. He didn't have to be called to repair anything. Well, now they, they're designed to work until the day after the warranty runs out. And then you got to go get another one. And now they're, 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 they're cheap, and so it's cheaper to buy a new one than it is to have somebody come out and fix it. You know, thank the Lord for YouTube. I've replaced heating elements in my dryer. I've, I've, I've unclogged things in my washer. I just get on YouTube and say, how do I do this? And then after a little while, if I get frustrated, I'm like, I'm going to go buy another one. <laughs> Hey, you do the same thing. I mean, it's just nuts. But I begin. What he's saying is that I want you to be diligent. I want you to do your best. Stay hungry to 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 be a worker who's not ashamed. Who's not ashamed? Uh, Work hard at handling. This is what he's saying. Work hard at handling the word of God because how we handle the word of God determines whether we're going to be approved or ashamed. I still believe that some of the greatest heroes that we're going to see in heaven are not the ones that we have here on earth that have national ministry. And I'm not knocking any national ministry, TV event. I'm not knocking any of that stuff. But I think some of the greatest heroes are going to be the moms and the pops who, who, who work in the kitchen, who lead the prayer group, who visit the shut-ins, who, who do all these things and get no recognition or notoriety here, but heaven pays attention. Because a lot of what's being done in, in Christendom today is done to be seen. He said, don't, just, just work to be approved, not be ashamed. Paul said it like this in Philippians 1.29. He said, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that, will, that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. In other words, he's saying, look, I just want God to be glorified. I want Christ to be glorified in me. So whether I live or whether I die, he's glorified. You know, wouldn't it be amazing? I mean, think about how much could be accomplished if we weren't worried who got the credit. I think a lot could be done. A lot of strides for the kingdom could be done if we just were not concerned about who, who got the credit. You know, I remember years ago, I was wanting to do this big community event. I used to be the president of the alliance that we used to have many, many years ago. And so I got the guys together, our, our alliance, and I suggested something. The first question I was asked, well, what's the denomination of the person that will? I'm like, who cares? 
Who cares? If they believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he came and he lived a sinless life and he died on the cross and was buried and three days later was resurrected and he went to heaven, he's going to come back. I don't care. Sometimes it's just all about the show. Paul said, I want him to be glorified in my body so that whether I live or whether I die, it's Jesus. You know, if we're seeking God's approval so that we're not ashamed, we have to stay hungry and we have to work hard. And the third thing is we have to correctly handle, correctly handle. Paul said it like this in verse 15, rightly handling the word of truth. Rightly handling comes from a compound Greek word. The first word is, is orthos, which means straight, okay? And the second word is timno, which means to cut. So, so you see what he's saying. If we're going to rightly handle, it means to cut properly or to cut straight. So we need to be straight shooters. That's, you ever went to Lowe's and got a two-by-four that was so crooked you could hand, ha- hammer it around the corner? <laughs> He's not talking about that. He's <laughs> Straight. <laughs> straight. I'm sorry, Lowe's, if any of you are watching me, I'm sorry. This word was used a number of ways when it means to cut straight, a tent maker. So, it, it, again, back in the Greek, they all have word pictures. So one of the word pictures is a tent maker who would precisely cut pieces of leather and sew them together. They fit properly. They were cut straight. You know, you didn't, you didn't have, you know, these scalloped ends. It was straight cut. It also, uh, that word has the idea of cutting a straight path for direction so that a traveler could, could take the most direct route to where they wanted to go. Cut straight. It was also used uh, of a farmer and how that a farmer would uh, plow straight furrows. You know, most farmers will tell you that if they're going to make a straight furrow or, you know, make those, I could just call them rows. They're going to make a straight row. They catch a glimpse of something out ahead of them and they go for that. Now they, have, now they have these fancy things where they all run by GPS, and they can just set that thing, and it'll just do it by itself. But farmers would catch a glimpse of something down at the end, and then they would set their plow, and that's where they would go. So the idea was just a straight line. When, strip, when the scriptures are cut straight, we can see how all the pieces that grand narrative from Genesis to Revelation, when the scriptures are handled properly, they fit together. They're woven together like this beautiful tapestry, and they tell a powerful story. Beautiful thing. Uh, so it's vital in our, all of our ministries that we rightly handle God's word and present it in an authentic way. The truth is we can't afford to water it down or cave into pop culture. You know, that's one of the commitments when I rededicated my life to the Lord and said, you called me to preach when I was seven. Here I am. I said, I will go where you want me to go, and I'll preach what you want me to preach, and I won't water it down. I'm not going to do it. Makes people mad. You know, some people get mad. Some people get glad. It, it, it just happens. But we can't afford, you know, I, I, eternity is a long time, and I don't want to stand before God one day and have somebody come up to me and say, why didn't you tell me the truth? Will that happen? I don't, I don't know, but I don't want it to. <laughs> You know, and sometimes truth is hard. You know, we've, we've tackled, I've tackled some really tough subjects in today's culture. And, and, and I know people that battle, that have struggles with things like that. And, and there's no malice in it, but it's the word of God. And freedom comes by knowing the truth. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We can't afford to water it down. We can't afford to cave in to pop culture. And it's unfortunate that there are many mainline Denominations today that are that are yielding to pop culture, that are that are that are changing historical Christian precedents for the ideology of modern man. It's a sad thing. Uh, we again, we have to seek God's approval, not people. We're aiming. I love this. We're aiming to be holy, not hipster. Christianity Today ran an article a few years back, and and here's what they were talking about. It was kind of along this subject, and it said, despite and I, and I think this is true. It's, the, the article read like this. Despite a new wave of contemporary church buzzwords like relational or relevant or intentional, people who show up are looking for the same thing that has long anchored most services, preaching centered on the Bible. 
Sermons that teach about Scripture are the number one reason Americans go to church. Even as congregants, uh, even as congregants' media diet and attention spans shift, they remain engaged in straightforward preaching of the Word. I like that. The people are are understanding that that there's some. Listen, there are a lot of there are a lot of good shows, but those shows produce something that's a mile wide and an inch deep. And when the doctor looks and says there's nothing that can be done. If you're an inch deep, you don't have much depth to weather the storms that come in life. I would rather have a small footprint. You know, it's, it's interesting in, in the Netherlands. Uh, that's where, uh, what's that lady's name? Um, Anne Frank. Anne Frank has a house there in Amsterdam. Sheila and I, we, did, we didn't do a tour of it. We, we went by it on the, on the, on the, uh, on the river when, we were, when I was stationed over there. And they were telling, it's a little bitty thing. It only has one door. And it has, one, it has windows. So you have the door, and then on the second floor you have a window, third floor you have a window, fourth floor you have a window. And that was it. And I thought, well, that's kind of odd. I mean, you know, it looked like I could just stand there wall to wall just like this. And they said, well, what they do in the Netherlands, I don't know if they still do it, but back in the, in the late 80s, they taxed you on your footprint or the square footage of real estate that you took up. So what they did was they built small and built up. So it didn't have much of a footprint. Listen, I would rather have a small footprint and have depth than the vastness of expanse. In a world of fake news and fake people and fake profiles and fake cheese, aren't you glad the Bible is the word of truth? I love love what Jesus prayed in John 17. He said, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. Your word is truth. Kind of reminds me of a story I read about a lady that she always carried, she was not, not deathly afraid of flying, but she, it wasn't her most favorite thing to do. And so she always carried her Bible on her flights. And uh, one flight she was sitting next to a man that happened to watch her when she pulled the Bible out. When she got a little bit nervous, she pulled the Bible out and she started reading it. And so when she pulled the Bible out and started to start reading, the man sitting next to her had this smirk on his face. And after a while, he, he turned to her and he said, ma'am, you don't really believe all that stuff that's in there, do you? And the lady says, well, I, of course I do. The Bible is true. And the man said, well, he said, what about that guy, that story of the guy that was swallowed by a whale? <clears throat> she goes, oh, you mean Jonah? I believe that. I, I believe all of the Bible is true. Still smirking, the man said, well, how do, you, how do you suppose he survived all of that time inside that well? She said, well, I, I don't really know. I, I guess when I get to heaven, I'll ask him. The man said sarcastically, well, what if he isn't in heaven? The lady said, then you can ask him. <laughs> Again, this, this is kind of an introductory Lesson, but I want to look at some principles real fast in my remaining time to help us because our, our goal is to rightly handle God's word, to handle it correctly so that we can be an approved worker and not be ashamed. And so the most important rule for interpreting the Bible is to understand the context. That's the most important rule in interpreting the Bible is understanding the context. To say it another way, we have to pay attention to the historical, cultural, and the geographical background of every passage that we read. It's important. Context is king. When someone asks a question about the Bible or quotes a verse out of context, it's essential that we read before and we read after. And so going back to, uh, uh, to, to another book, Jim uh, Nicodem writes in the context, how to understand the Bible. He gives us some helpful principles. Let me give you a couple. Number one, we've got to understand cultural distinctives. How many, knows, how many know culture is different? So, so when, a point, when I was in, in Sri Lanka last year, they, Sheila and I eat dinner early. I, I'm one of these early guys. I like to be done. So when I get home, I cook, and, and, and I, we, we have dinner, and usually by 5 or 5.30, we're done. I get to Sri Lanka, and they have this thing in the mid-afternoon. They call it high tea. It, it, you know, it's a, it's a British thing. It's called high tea. And so at, at 2 o'clock, we go to this restaurant 
to have high tea. Well, again, I don't even have a clue what they're talking about. I like tea, so I'm okay with that. But what they do is they bring out this big box, and it has drawers. And they set it down in front of you, and they, you get to tea, and you pull out that drawer, and there's macaroons, and there's finger sandwiches, and, I mean, there's just all kinds of snacks and stuff. And I'm thinking, well, I mean, this is awful late in the afternoon to have such a big snack. Well, then I come to, after we finish high tea, then they said, all right, and they set the time for dinner that night. It was 8 o'clock at night. That's when they start dinner, 1030 when it's over. I'm like, I'm in bed by 9 o'clock. I mean, my goodness. <laughs> it, was, it was a culture thing. I mean, so, so if you've ever traveled to another country, you know, you know the different cultures and customs. I mean, so, so think about the book of Proverbs. When you read Proverbs, um, you're gonna have, we're going to have to travel from a 21st century Western technological society. We're going to have to travel all the way back to a 10th century B.C. Middle Eastern Agarian society because that's the way it was written. So to understand, you got to understand, there, there's, there's millennia that separates our understanding from what was written. If we're going to read through the New Testament, if we're going to read the New Testament letter of 1 Corinthians, then we're going to have to go back to 1st century A.D., the Greco-Roman urban culture. We're going to have to understand that. Uh, If we don't cross these cultural rivers, then we're not going to understand a whole lot of what he means or they mean. Example, uh, Nicodem in his book, he cites Ruth. Now, I I taught on Ruth. We did a verse-by-verse study last year of Ruth. Ruth is a, you, you know her story. She's a destitute widow. Uh, a distant relative, she had a distant relative, by the, a man by the name of Boaz, who buys her a piece of property, okay? Ruth 4.7 says that the guy who sells Boaz this property um, seals the deal by handing Boaz his sandal. That's how he seals the deal. Well, I mean, I'm not a very smart man, but I don't remember when I closed on my house anybody giving me a shoe. I, 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 don't, I don't recall that. So, and, and my guess is you probably didn't either. So, again, go back into the culture, and at that time it's extremely important because sandal passing was a customary way of the seller saying, the property that I used to walk on and owned now belongs to you. Remember the scriptures talks about where the soles of your feet trod upon? So it carries that context, that that I'm giving you my sandal. I used to walk on that property, but now I've sold it, and it's now yours. Different. How about, uh, you know, maybe you sit here and say, well, you know, that's a lot of work. I mean, how in the world am I supposed to discover all these cultural connections to be able to rightly divide the Word of God? Well, again, the exhortation is to work hard to correctly, correctly handle the Word of God. So spiritual, how many understand? Spiritual growth requires discipline and work. Well, the good news is there's a lot of Bible aids out there. <laughs> I think it's a great practice to, to read when you read your Bible, to have, to have commentaries, to have word studies, to have, again, if you're going to study to show yourself approved unto God, avail yourself to what's out there. There's so many online resources right now that if you read a text, a passage, you can go and find incredible amount of information that helps with historical information, there are things that have archaeological. There's an incredible amount of archaeology that's gone in to where we are today in our Bible with the Dead Sea Scrolls, and, and they're, they're just tremendous information. So what I'm saying is you don't have to be a scholar. You just have to work a little bit. And the second thing I'm going to say is ask the five W questions. The five w, anybody know what they are? The who, the what, the where, the when, and the why. A good reporter always going to ask those questions. So who questions? They're important. So when you're reading, for instance, when reading the book of Jonah, well, if you're going to understand Jonah, it would be very, very helpful to know who the Ninevites were. So when God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, remember what he did? <laughs> I'm not going to Nineveh. Why? Well, I, I mean, who were the Ninevites? Why, why did he protest so much? Well, the, the culture, let me, let, me, let me get my notes here. Nineveh was the capital city of ancient Assyria. 
and, and again, it was a superpower in Jonah's day. The Assyrians were the arch enemies of Israel and were notorious for beheading their victims and stacking their heads in piles or skinning their captives alive. That was what they were known for. And so when God said, hey, I want you to go, if God came up to you and said, hey, I want you to go down to that, to, to, there's still a headhunting tribe in Papua New Guinea, and I want you to go down there and pre- present the gospel to them. Are you going to get on a plane and fly to Papua New Guinea to these headhunters that still like to have brain soup? I mean, that's, that's kind of, I know that's kind of silly, but that's kind of the idea. Jonah's like, I'm not going, do you know what they do to people? We're enemies. <laughs> So it puts a different light. Now, he still was in disobedience. I'm not, I'm not certainly whitewashing his, the fact that he disobeyed God, but I'm saying it puts a little bit of different spin on it when you ask, who? Who are the Ninevites? What was so wrong with him going down there? Simply knowing the who of the Bible passage helps us better interpret. Number, uh, how about the what questions? Well, again, you're going to come across some practices and some words that don't make sense in our society. Uh, for example, in Psalm 1-4, it tells us that the wicked are like chaff, in the wind, and the wind drives them away. Well, do you know what chaff is, and do you know what that's talking about? Again, unless you're familiar with an agrarian society, you, you don't know what that means. You're, you're scratching your head. Well, chaff is that thin outer layer, husk, that surrounds that kernel of wheat. And they would thresh that on the threshing floor, and then they would take it by handfuls or scoop it up in a basket and they would throw it up in the air and the wind would blow that chaff out and the kernel would fall to the ground. That's, that's what he's, he's talking about right there. Um, so long before John Deere came around, that's how they did it. You know, they, don't, they didn't have the combines. They just had a big stick and they beat the tar out of it. <laughs> and then they threw it up and let the wind blow it away. Ingenious. And it worked. It was very effective. But that's, that's the what question. When? Knowing when a book is written, again, is also important. Uh, the book of Philippians, again, is a book about joy. As I said earlier, it was, it's, it's helpful to know. It was written when Paul was in prison. So it gives the book a little bit more oomph because here's a guy in prison who should be moaning and groaning, complaining, and yet he's writing about joy. The where questions. Again, another example would be where questions, Revelation 3. Uh, he says, writing, he says, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were cold or hot, so because you're lukewarm, neither cold nor hot. Remember what he said? He said, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Okay, so knowing a little bit about Laodicea helps us understand what he's trying to communicate to him. See, Laodicea had a problem, and, and the problem was with the drinking water. Okay, so the local river was too muddy, so the water had to be brought in through an aqueduct. So they would bring the water in, and it originated in a cool spring some five miles away, but by the time it got to the city, it was now tepid, and it tasted awful. And in fact, if you took one sip of that water in that current condition, you would want to spit. So again, it gives, it gives a little bit of an understanding that because of where they lived, the church got the message real quick that Jesus didn't want them to be lukewarm. Because it made him sick. Why questions? Again, there are a lot of why questions. And why is important. Have you ever wondered why Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal on, on Mount Carmel in, in 1 Kings 18? Why did he do it? Why Mount Carmel? Why not somewhere else? Well, because if you do a little bit of digging, you find out that uh, Mount Carmel was considered a dwelling place for Baal. Their pagan god was, that was his place. And so Elijah's going to his house to call on the name of the Lord. Different perspective. So just by asking those questions, i got to close. Just by asking those five questions and just kind of dig out from Scripture. And there, there's, there's a Scripture, there's, there's a, uh, scripture companions. There's, there's all kinds of helps out there that help us. Um, I think a few more, a couple more would be helpful. Uh, observation, what does it say? Interpretation, what does it mean? And application, how do I respond? See, as we move into this, and we're going to talk about probably five or six uh, over the next few weeks phrase, or bi- uh, Bible verses that are very common to us that in the context say something different than the way we interpret it. Um, 
The Bible's not just for information. It's given for transformation. I love what Mark Twain said. Mark Twain was not known to be a follower of Christ, but here's what he said. He said, if it, if it, it ain't the parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. <laughs> and I think that's pretty good. Uh, so as I close tonight, what are some things that we can do as we rightly handle the Word of God? Well, read the Bible every day by using a study Bible or some other resources. Life Application is a great study Bible. There, there are many. Uh, there are online platforms. I think uh, Logos has an online platform. PC Nelson has an online platform. Blue Letter Bible is an online platform. I mean, there's some really good stuff out there. Uh, so instead of trying to read for, for quantity, back it up and read for quality. You may not be able to read three chapters in a day. Maybe you can only read three verses, but if you dig them out and find the nuggets... You see, the, our language, the languages are different. Greek is a beautiful language. A lot of, uh, you know, one of my favorite uh, passages in the Greek is when Paul is talking about the time of my departure is at hand is one of my favorite. And I use it often in funerals because that word departure in the Greek has several different connotations, one of which pictures the idea of a person. It's a nautical term. And, and it's almost like if you remember the love boat, you had people that got on the ship and there were people at the harbor that waved bon voyage to those that got on the boat. So they're waving by, but then there are other people on the other side that were waving welcome. And so when he said, my departure's at hand, he's saying, look, we are part of the, the crowd saying bye. The deceased will then become part of the welcoming committee for when we get there. It's a beautiful picture. You know, military, being a military guy, it carries a, a, a military connotation to it about uh, pitching our tent, picking it up, moving when the general calls us. So, so reading the Bible with a study aid can just enliven you to Scripture. Uh, I, I think another one, utilize audio and illustrated Bibles. Uh, what I mean by that is there are people that just don't like to read. Well, you know what? We live in a great world. You can go online. There, you, even the U version has an audio feature. Uh, there are online Bibles that you can plug into and read, and they will. You can follow. You can set to read. It can read to you, and you just sit there and listen. They're 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 actually illustrated Bibles that combine like graphics and and animation with the word. There's so many things out there to be helpful. And, and here's another thing. And then I'm going to close. Go to Sunday school. And go to Bible studies. Again, the more we expose ourselves to the Word of God, the more we are around other people. And, you know, I think it's, it's, it helps us, the retention. You know, one of the reasons that we're doing that what if, our illustrated sermon, is because I could preach the same message, but when you add to it the element of drama, the retention of that and the effectiveness, we, I mean, we've seen it. We've, we've seen it. We've, we've seen people that actually filled up there and had to come up on the platform because there were so many responded. It's, it's powerful. So there are things that we can do to rightly handle God's word. So the goal is to grow. I don't, I don't want to be like that group that Jesus talked about in Mark 12. He, he said this, he asked, he said, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? I don't want to be in error because I don't know the word. I want to know the word. I want to rightly divide, rightly handle, and I want to be approved unto God, not ashamed. I want you to stand with me tonight as we close. I know that's a lot of stuff to dump on the introduction, but next week we'll kind of unpack some. But over the next few weeks, that's what we're going to do. We're going to unpack many verses or several verses that are often taken out of context. And my, my, my goal is by the end of the series that we can see how important it is to rightly handle God's Word. Because again, I can justify just about anything I want to by taking Scripture, just kind of cherry-picking Scripture out of context and saying, well, the Bible says this when it really didn't mean what you say it means. Because it can be a dangerous thing. So let's, let's go ahead and bow as we close in prayer tonight. And I just want uh, two things tonight. One, if you're here tonight and say, you know what, Pastor, you know, it's been a rough week. And uh, as we close tonight, just 
want you to say a prayer for me. I want to pray that I want you to pray that God would help me through the rest of this week. And then secondly, maybe here tonight say, you know what? I want God to give me that appetite for his word. I want to hunger like you're talking about tonight. And I want to be, I want to rightly divide, rightly handle, and not be ashamed. If that's you tonight in any one of those things, just slip you in right, right back down. If you're online, if you'll comment, I want to pray with you as well. Father, tonight I love you and I thank you for your word. The psalmist had it right. It is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. And Father, I pray that we would just avail ourselves to your word, that we would study to show ourselves approved unto you. Lord, let us rightly handle your word. Let us let it speak to us. Let it minister to us, Lord. And, and I pray, God, that you would give us that, that hunger, that desire, Lord, to not just, not just know about you, but to really know you. And it's in the scriptures that testify of you. May we be anchored in that truth. And now, Father, I pray for those that just had a really rough week this week. And, uh, Lord, I just pray that you would uphold them with your powerful right hand and that you would encourage them, that you would strengthen them. Lord, give them a great rest of the week. I pray that tonight when we get home, may we sleep soundly in you. May we wake up in the morning with a spring in our step and a song in our heart. Lord, put people in our pathway that we can share the message and the hope of Jesus. I love and I bless each one now. Bring us again to the next appointed time, I pray in Jesus' name. And we said again, amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you and I love you very much.